Some of you, you were isolated because of decisions that you made. Some of you were like that woman at the well because I know in my ministry that I have girls who have said as they would walk by their tables in high school, they would hear other girls talk about how many guys she had messed around with the weekend before. And even though that girl could be attractive and sit at a table with a bunch of other people, she was isolated because of the things she had done. She felt so singled out, and she knew, everybody knew who she was. She knew that everybody viewed her as a slut and a skank, and she would sit there by herself, and she was isolated. And some of you, that's exactly who you were. And we could go down the list, you were isolated because of the decisions you made, the drugs you would use, the, out, the, the stupid decisions you would made when you were drinking. The, and we could go on and on and on. And some of you have lots of friends, but you've heard the saying before, you've heard people talk about feeling alone in a room full of people, right? Where you have a lot of friends, maybe you were popular, but you looked around at life and you're like, I, I know there are people around me, but I'm so alone. I'm so isolated because there's... There's no connection with these people. There's nothing deeper. My life has no meaning whatsoever. And so you wandered around with a smile on your face, looking like everything was fine, but inside you felt like this woman at the well who was going there by herself, knowing she was going to be leaving there by herself. You see, we, we have been a people who are isolated. You've been that person who at night... When you laid in, in your bed at night and you had to go to sleep and you thought about the next day and what was going to take place and we lay there and we feel we just feel a, a lot of dread and a lot of guilt and a lot of hurt and we lay there and we feel isolated and we'd feel alone. That's what that's where you come from. I know you guys. And here's this woman at the well and that's who she was. And the, and the sad thing was, is the woman at the well, she's, she's isolated from the world, but more importantly than that, she's isolated from God, which means she's isolated from his people and, and for his plans in her life. Look at verses 9 and 10 of John chapter 4. You're a Jew, she replied, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink of water when Jews and Samaritans won't have anything to do with each other? And Jesus answered, you don't know what God wants to give you. And you don't know who is asking you for a drink. See, she's not only isolated from the rest of the world, but she has a deeper problem going on, and that's that she's isolated. She is separated from God. And when you're separated from God, sometimes when you've been a Christian for a few years, you start forgetting what that felt like. You start forgetting what it felt like to be isolated from him. You start forgetting what it was like when you were isolated without intimate relationships with people who loved you and cared for your soul, who were willing to hold you accountable, who were willing to get involved in your life. And we forget what that isolation felt like. But this woman is knee deep in it and she understands exactly how that feels. And she's looking at Jesus and she's like, why is this dude talking to me? This doesn't make any sense. And he's like, He's telling her, you know what, you're missing a great connection. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know. And in his head, he's got to be getting excited about what's about to take place. But she's isolated from the world, and she's isolated from God, and she's isolated from his people and his plans for her life. But the awesome thing about God is, is that when you're isolated, that doesn't mean that you're stuck there forever. 
You see, this isolated woman, all of you who have been isolated in the past, who were there by yourself, you were alone, you were pushed out, you were cast out from the world, God didn't design for you to be there, and he didn't design for you to stay there, because the isolated can be people of, become people of great influence, who can make such an impact on the world and the lives of people around them. That's what God longs for everyone that you go and you sit at next to work and you sit in next to your class and for your suite mates and the people who live down the dorm hallway from you and everybody that you come into contact with on your campus, God looks at them and he says, those people are isolated, but man, they can be people of great influence in my kingdom because I'm really good at taking the isolated people, the weak, the damaged, the broken, the helpless, the harassed. I am so good at taking those people and turning them into people of influence. That's what he, that's what his design was for you. And tonight what we've got to start doing is we've got to start asking ourselves the question, is that where we are? Because that's what God designed you to be as an influencer, not someone who's living in isolation. He's blessed you with a relationship with him and with ministries full of people who should be longing for that same thing. But when you look at your personal life, when you look at your ministry and what you are doing, are you influencing people? You want to know if you're influencing people? You want to know if you're leading people? You know what you do? You look behind you and see if anyone's following you. We talk a lot about being ministries that are evangelistically powerful and effective, and that's what we want to be, and we claim a lot of times that's what we are, but if we're really going to change the world, it is going to require that each and every one of you start looking and saying, Am I, have I really went from someone from, who is in isolation to being someone who is an influencer of people? Do I have people following me? Who have I led to Christ? Who have I brought to my cross chat or my events or my whatever it might be this past year? Am I someone who is influencing other people? Because when they look at my life, they see something so different. John 4, 29 and 30 says, The woman left her water jar and ran back into town. So she's obviously excited about something, right? You know, she gets done with this conversation with Jesus. It's kind of weird because he's like, yeah, I know who you are. You're the town's kink, you know. And then, but the conversation ends with her excited and her running back to town. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And it says that everyone in the town went out to see Jesus. Everyone in the town. Can you imagine what the look on your campus minister's face would be like is if you showed up to an event or cross chat one night and you're coming in and then like 37 people follow behind you and he's like, who are these people? And you're like, this is Psych 101. <laughs> they, I told them about God and the whole class followed you to cross chat. You'd be, they'd be like, what is going on? God can do that kind of stuff. That's what he does. He's in the business of taking people who are isolated and making them into influencers. But we've got to figure out how does that happen. See, what we can do is we can look at Jesus in this passage and we can say, how do I become someone who is able to help the isolated become influencers? That's what he did for me. And I need to study him to figure out how do I make sure that I'm returning the favor? How do I make sure that I'm really being a disciple, a student endeavoring to be like my teacher? How do I help take people from the world who are isolated and help them become people of influence? 
So how does it take place? Well, first of all, if we are going to help people get out of the isolation and the loneliness and the brokenheartedness that they are living in, the isolated have to encounter someone with a great purpose. If you don't have a great purpose in your life, if the people in your class can't look at you and say, man, look at that person, they have, they have a life that matters, that's meaningful, they have a purpose, you are never going to reach them. If you look at the end of the story, after, the, after this ladies went back to town, the apostles come back to Jesus, look what they say in verse uh, 31 and 30, through 34. It says, while this was happening, so while she's gone to town, Jesus' disciples were saying to him, teacher, Please eat something. But Jesus told them, I have food that you don't know anything about. His, and, and, at first when you read that, you're kind of like, what, is he sneaking crackers out of his robe? You know, but that's not, what he's, he's, that's not what he's talking about. He says, I have food you know nothing about. His disciples started asking each other, has someone brought him something to eat? Someone slipped him something? Jesus said, my food is to do what God wants. He is the one who sent me, and I must finish the work that he gave me to do. And all of a sudden, the apostles, the light could go off for them and they could say, he's talking about a purpose, a deep purpose that he has. He has something that's more important to him than food. He has something more important to him than getting a drink. He has something more important than the next thing to do on his to-do list. He has a purpose. And that purpose is to do what God has sent him to do. And God sent him to come here and seek and save the lost. That's why he's sitting at the well with the woman and not worried about what his next meal is going to be. Jesus was a man of great purpose. The food, the thing that satisfied Jesus' strongest desire and quenched all of his other desires was that he came to do the will of the Father. You see it all throughout his life. You see him tell the apostles here, and you see it in his prayer later when he says, not my will, God, but your will, because that was the sacrificial cry that redeemed the entire world. This was a man of incredible purpose and focus so what we have to do is when we see him like that we have to look back at our lives and say is that who i am the apostles are coming back like eat you got to eat something you got to take something and he's like no i have more important things to do but in our lives we come up with all kinds of excuses for why we're not doing the will of the Father and why seeking and saving the lost and why going into all nations and baptizing them, making the disciples, teaching them everything that has been commanded, why that needs to be a second, third, fourth, fifth thing on our priority list. We will never take people from isolation to influence unless we are a people of great purpose. Unless we remember why we are on campus. Because I'm not on campus to get a degree. That's a benefit of me being, me being there. I'm not there for an education. That's a bonus. I'm there to seek and save the lost. And when, when other people look at us and they're like, well, aren't you worried about your grades? You should just look at them next time and smile and say, I have degrees you know nothing about. <laughs> And, and, you, and, and your parents are going to be like, what? And you're like, never mind. <laughs> some, some crazy guy told me. But, but in all seriousness, guys, 
We pass up on so many incredible opportunities to reach the isolated people on our college campuses because we're so worried about our grades. We're so worried about, oh, I have to work so many hours because I have to take care of this and I have to take care of that and I need to make sure I buy all the stuff I want. And you fill in the blank, whatever it is for you that the apostles are using for food here, what is it for you that takes away from your purpose that you need to stop, stop and look and say, you know what? I have something that's so much better than any of these desires. My desire, my purpose is to do the, the, the Father's will. And that's that I seek and save the lost, that I help find people who are isolated and I help them become people of influence. See, a great purpose will do that. A great purpose insists that you go places that you normally wouldn't go. There are certain places where we don't want to go. You know, how many of you guys are get in a routine on campus? And, and daily, you go from here, point A to point B to point C to point A. And you know where you're going, and you go there, and that routine doesn't change. And you sit with the same people when you go to lunch, if you sit with anybody. You sit by the same people in every class that you go and sit in. And you do everything we do, get stuck in this routine. to where like, and, and we get going, and we're like, all right, this is nice. This is comfortable. I know where I'm going next. I know what's going on. I, and, and I have to go, you know. And we get caught in those things. But when you look at what Jesus says in this, what the Bible says in John 4, 4, it says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So when you look at that, you're like, oh, cool. So he had to go to Samaria. So when he was in Samaria, he just happened upon this lady. I don't believe that's the case at all. I believe the reason Jesus had to go to Samaria is because he knew he was going to find this lady. Because if you look at history, what it will tell you is the Jewish people didn't go through this area. When it says he had to go through there, it may have been an easier, it may have been a decent route to get where he was going. But most Jew, most Jewish people, what they would do is they would go around that area. They wanted to stay as far away from the filthy, dirty Samaritans as they possibly could. And so they would go all the way around and they would make it a much longer journey than they needed to because they didn't want to have anything to do with those people. Now, I don't think any of you are sitting in your classes and thinking, I got to get to my next class with this route so I don't, I don't come into contact with those people, those sinners, those frats, those sororities, those people who are going out and partying or smoking weed outside the back building, whatever it might be. I don't think you're thinking that consciously, but I also don't think that we're a people of such great purpose that it says, you know what, I'm going to take a route, different route every day because I want to run into somebody different than I ever have because I want to strike up a conversation. I want an opportunity for something great to happen but a great purpose will push you to go to places you would have never went before you know I, it's it's funny because we do and rightfully so we admire people who go and do missionary work especially when they go to places that are not fun or not safe to go to and I think it's awesome that they do that but guys, we have a mission field in our, on our campus, in our backyards. And we can't seem to venture out, out of our way enough to make sure we're finding the people there who are lost and need Jesus. Who are isolated and need His help. But great purpose pushes you to go to places you might not normally go. Great purpose... You know, a great purpose, even when you beyond your college years, guys, campus ministry is a small part of your life. It's a small time span in your life. 
Because once those years are gone and you're done with school, you're going to go and you're going to be an adult. And I want you to think for a minute about what you're going to do whenever you graduate from college. Because it shows the way you think about your purpose. Have you thought about what you're going to do? And if you have, how many of you are thinking, how many of it went something like this? Well, when I graduate from college, I mean, I'm going, I'm away at school, so maybe I'll go home, see if I can find a job there. But then I've heard the economy's really good in Texas. There's a lot of good jobs in Texas, so maybe I'll go to Texas. Or, oh, I also know the economy's booming over here, and they've got a lot of jobs in my field out in Silicon Valley, so maybe I need to go to California. That's where I'll go because I can get a job, and then I can start my life. If that is your way of thinking... You need to readjust the way you're thinking. Where can you go that is going to impact your life spiritually? Where can you go where you're going to be able to grow, where you're going to be able to develop to be the kind of man or woman who can go out into the world and seek and save the lost? Where are you going to go so that you can go and be trained to go plant churches and to start campus ministries like the one that you were fortunate enough to find on a campus that doesn't have them? You willing to be that uncomfortable? Or are you going to go where the job takes you? You're going to go where the girlfriend's going. You're going to go where you fill in the blank. What are you going to do? Because a great purpose will push me to go to a place I might not normally go. You've got to learn to think about the kingdom and God's purposes and His will far beyond anything that is going to take place here on our earthly lives. The world will, will go from being people who are isolated to influencers when they encourage someone of great or when they encounter someone of great purpose, when they find someone who went out of their way and went somewhere they normally wouldn't go to meet them. And a great purpose will, uh, will, will force me to engage the isolated. Have you ever had plans before where you thought, where you really thought you've left a retreat or something and you go home and you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get out of myself and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into campus and I'm going to go sit in the cafeteria where I never go and I never spend any time or I'm going to go sit in the, the foyer of the dorm or the lounge or whatever it might be and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to start a conversation with somebody. And then you go into the cafeteria and then you sit down and you look around and you're like, oh, this is super intimidating. I don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't done this before. What do I do? There's nobody. Uh, out the door nothing and then you look back and you're like man why did that just happen why did i because our purpose has to outweigh our comfort levels our purpose has to outweigh what we're used to doing our purpose has to outweigh our selfishness being a jewish man jesus could have very easily been like i'm not talking to that dirty samaritan chick but that's not who he was because he had a greater purpose He loved this woman. And he longed for her to have something different. When you go to campus, when you're sitting there, when you're in high school and you're sitting in the cafeteria and the people around you for our teens, are you looking at those people and saying, man, I have a great purpose and God has incredible plans for their lives. What am I going to do? I'm going to engage. John 4, 6. It was noon and after Jesus' disciples had gone into the town to buy some food, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well and Jesus asked her, would you please give me a drink of water? Now you may look at that and think, 
I mean, that's not, you know, he's asking her for a drink of water. Is that really engaging her? It's the first step, and it's farther than most of you probably went in the past year. Right? He opens the door to a conversation. And he's always thinking about where it's going to lead and where it's going to go. But he engages her. He doesn't just go where she's at, but he talks and he gets involved into a conversation with her. And you see this over and over again. If you if you flip over to even the next chapter, John 5, 5 and 6, crowd of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. They lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he'd been ill for a long time. And Jesus looked at him and said, do you want to get well? That doesn't seem like the brightest question to ask somebody who's been an invalid for 38 years. What do you think he's going to say? But Jesus engaged him. He knew where that conversation was going to go. You realize that there are at least nine other stories where Jesus comes into contact with the isolated, with the lost, with the hurting, and he engages conversation with them. And that's not counting the fact that he engaged his disciples and his apostles. Those are specific stories that you read about in the Bible where Jesus goes to a specific place and he chooses out of his purpose and his love and his desire for them to engage those people. He wouldn't have come to our college campus and walked into a class and said not a word to a person in class for a semester. It would not have happened, ever. But we do those things all the time. We've got to look and say, man, do I want people to go from isolation to influencer? And am I going to influence them to do that? Is my purpose that great that I am going to go out of my way to find them? And I am going to step past my insecurities and my, and my weakness and open my mouth and engage these people. Because I'm telling you right now, you can throw out the baloney excuse that you're going to live in such a perfect way that they're going to find Jesus because he didn't do that. And if Jesus' perfect life didn't lead them to Jesus Christ, guess what? You're heck, you're sure heck not going to do that. I promise you. I promise you. He had to open his mouth. We've got to open our mouths and engage the world around us. See, a great purpose, it'll push me to go somewhere I wouldn't normally go. It'll push me to engage the isolated. And, and it's not a simple conversation because a great purpose will also always lead to a spiritual conversation. Some of you look and you're like, I talk to people in my class every day. I sit down and I look next to them like, hey, did you do the homework? What was it? Because I didn't finish it. See, I talked to them. I engaged an isolated person. It was so awesome. But it goes beyond a surface conversation that you have with people. I, I've had many conversations with college students who will sit there and they'll be like, man, we had this great conversation in class where, you know, people, act, it was really weird because people actually started talking about their lives and, and this, and I'm like, that's so cool. So what happened? Well, we talked about our lives. Yeah, but then what happened? We left class, you know, and I'm like, what a missed opportunity. See, Jesus asked this woman for a drink of water, but he knows the conversation isn't stopping there. It's going somewhere much deeper. In John 4.10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have been asking him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. 
Now all of a sudden he's like talking some crazy stuff, you know, and he, but he knows where he's going and he's leading her closer and closer and closer to becoming someone who is not going to be isolated, but who is going to find a relationship with him and is going to influence other people to do the same thing. When you're sitting in your psychology classes or your sociology classes or your race and ethnic relation classes, what incredible opportunities for your great purpose to shine through to the world and engage in a spiritual conversation. When the world around us is, a, is racially is a nightmare right now, it's ridiculous, it's, a, it's, it's horrible, they should be able to look at our ministries and we should be able to sit in classes with people and we should be able to sit in the cafeteria and they look at our ministries and they're like, weird. Look at that. Whites, blacks, Asians, you know, Spanish, like everybody's there. What's going on? And so when we sit in classes with them and these topics get brought up, it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what? I know where we don't have this racist bullcrap going on like it is in the rest of the world. My ministry has a bunch of black people and a bunch of white people and a bunch of Spanish people and a bunch of you fill in the blank people that love each other deeply. And we don't deal with these same tensions and these same fights because we have we love each other. We love God and it changed our lives and it opens up a whole new conversation. When someone that you know is ranting and raving about what's going on in the world around you on Facebook or on Twitter, it's an awesome opportunity for you to engage them in a, in a spiritual conversation when you're sitting next to them in cafeteria and having lunch. It's a great opportunity sharing your story in your, in your classes where you're talking about abuse and you're talking about hurt. What an opportunity for you to sit there and say, yeah, you're right, man. People do have, that is really rough. I know we're talking about how you're going to deal with that. Well, here's how God's worked it out in my life. And your, your psych teacher and your sociology teachers are going to be like, oh, no. You know, they're not going to like it. But what an incredible opportunity for a great purpose to shine through. And you don't have to preach it, people. You open up a, a door and you hope that they step through it. And that it leads to a deeper conversation. To where it turns from just your story to you, where you can say, hey, so what about your life? And they start to be able to open up to you about it. And then you're able to say, hey, well, I know that God longs for this for you. And I know he wants that for you. I, don't, I know he doesn't want you to be isolated. In fact, he wants to do incredibly powerful things through you. And they're going to look at you like, me? The dirty Samaritan? And you're going to go, trust me, I was a dirty Samaritan myself. But look what God is doing in my life. It's such a great opportunity. <clears throat> you see, a great purpose will push me to go places I wouldn't normally go to engage the isolated. It will force me uh, and lead me to spiritual conversations, but a great purpose will also force me to deal with sin. It will force me to be honest with people because they could have had a nice flowery conversation that she tries to have about where people should go and worship. But Jesus... He wants to take it deeper than that, and he says, hey, where's your husband at? I don't have one. You're right. In fact, you've had five, and the one you're with now, he's not your husband. He made it real personal, real quick, and she knew exactly what he was getting at. But we live in a society where it's not okay to say something someone else is doing is wrong, but guess what? Society doesn't dictate your purpose. Christ does. 
And when he says something is wrong in the Word of God, guess what, guys? It's wrong. I don't care what your professor, your parent, your neighbor, your classmates say. When the Word of God says something sinful, it's sinful, and it's damaging to people's lives, and sin separates them from God, and sin separates them from becoming people of influence, it's why people live in isolation. A godly purpose forces us to delve into issues that aren't going to be comfortable. It forces us to deal with the sin that is going on in the lives of the people who we're coming into contact with. And we can't be cowards. And we can't be afraid. And yeah, you're going to be called all kinds of names. You'll be called judgmental and bigoted and all kinds of things. But when God says something, it doesn't matter what the world says because it matters what His Word says. That doesn't mean you have to be unloving. That doesn't mean you're uncaring. It means that you understand what sin does to their lives and you don't want them to be left in isolation because you have a great purpose to fulfill the will of the Father and seek and save that which was lost. And it takes some guts. But if your purpose is to please the Father, if your purpose is to fulfill His mission for you here, you're going to do these things regardless of how difficult they are. That's what he's called all of us to. You look even again, if you look at that the next passage where Jesus told the guy, Do you want to be well? And look what he says to the guy in, in verse 14 in John 5. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. See, he wasn't afraid to deal with that sin. He wasn't afraid to tell them, hey, this is sin damages you. That is the loving thing to do. Do you realize that? Dealing with sin is the loving, godly, purposeful thing to do. And it's the only way to help people go from being isolated from God to being connected to God. They have to realize that sin problem's there, or they'll never see why they need to have it washed away in baptism. We have to deal with those things. A great purpose will push me to where I normally don't go. It'll push me to engage. It will push me to spiritual conversations. It will push me to deal with sin. And finally, a great purpose will help me dream for the isolated. We don't look at them and end a conversation with how bad everything in their life is and how they're stuck in their sin, but we have an opportunity to show them what God wants to do. Look what Jesus says in verses 21 through 23. To this woman who she looks at this man and has to be thinking, this guy thinks I'm dirty, I'm a dog, I'm, a, I, I'm the woman in town who sleeps with everybody. After he, she realizes he knows this, look what he says. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know and we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and the hour is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And He looks at her and He says, listen, you're going to worship somewhere else. And all of a sudden, He takes it from a, well, we the Jews, this is what we have, and we're the ones who have it all together, and you're screwed up and wrong. But He says, yeah, you're wrong, but guess what? You can be a part of this party too. You're going to worship the Father. You're going to find out what truth is, and it is going to change everything for you. 
That's what a great purpose does. It dreams for the hurting people around us. It dreams for the messed up people in your class. It dreams for them to have something so much better than they've ever had. And you, better than anyone, should understand that dream because you know what it's like to live in isolation. We, re we need to remember what God's purpose has done in our lives and how far God has been able to bring us so that we're able to have a vision for where He wants to take others. He longs for that to take place. Imagine if, if everyone here tonight went home with a great purpose, what would happen to the people in isolation that you come into contact with in the next year? Imagine what would take place in this room next year if you really dreamt for them about what God could do in their lives and you took it to heart and you said, it's my responsibility to make sure these people know what God has in store for them. What would happen in your ministries? What would happen in your churches and on your campuses if that is the dream that you went home with and you were sharing that with everyone that you came into contact with because your purpose was so great? God is longing. He is longing for, for us to go and find people and share with them what He wants to do in their lives. John 5, 24, right after that other same story we've been talking about. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me will have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Death is a separation. It's isolation. And Jesus says, you don't have to be isolated. You don't have to be dead. You don't have to be separated. You can be alive and you can be connected to me. And that's what I long for you to have. And he says to all of us, that is your purpose is to go. Make sure everyone knows that they can have this too. It's the last thing that he tells his apostles and he tells the disciples to do. Go to all the world and make sure every single person knows that they don't have to be isolated and separated from me. Let them know what it's like to be close to me. That's what God has designed us to do. And if we do it, it will change everything for everyone. You see, those of you who know me, some of you who don't know me right now, you're like, this dude is yelling at us. <laughs> I'm excited because I believe wholeheartedly in what God wants to do through our ministries. I, I, I just I can't imagine what it would be like here next year at Family Vacation if we all have a great purpose. How exciting it would be walking in here and being like, this can't be the same place I was at last year. You know what, we don't need to add a bunch of other ministries to start coming to family vacation. Would it be fun? Yeah. Would it be nice? Yeah. But we can fill family vacation. This wall should not be up right now. Because if every single person found one isolated person next year and had a great purpose and a heart for them and a heart for God's will next year, we wouldn't fit in this room if everybody found one isolated person. Now, it would be, think about how insane it would be to come here next year and see that. That's what God longs to do with us. That's what he longs to do through us. 
But the thing about God is He doesn't force you to do it. He is not going to make you have great purpose. He is not going to make you set everything else aside. He is not going to force you to forego the things that you may desire to pick up His will for your heart. He says you've got to decide if that's what you're going to do. He doesn't force you to go to places you wouldn't normally go, and He's not going to make you engage with anyone. He's not going to make you deal with the hard issues, and He's not going to force you to share the incredible hope that you have for people's future because He he hopes that you long to give them that. He hopes that it becomes your desire. He hopes that you own that purpose for yourself. It can't be your campus ministers. It can't be your small group leaders. It can't be your preachers or your parents' purpose. You have to decide if it's your purpose. It's definitely God's purpose. So if you decide that's not your purpose, you need to rethink your relationship with God. God is longing to change the world. That's why He came. The question is, are you and I going to be a part of what God is doing? Are we going to find the isolated, and are we going to give them hope, and are we going to take them and say, hey, not only do you not have to be isolated, but you can help other people not be isolated, and you can influence them to have something else, and then so they do that same thing for somebody else who does it for somebody else who does it for somebody else. Sometime go back and track your spiritual lineage and find out who did that for you and who did that for them and who did that for the person before them. You never know where that's going to end up, but, but other people made the decision that they were going to die to themselves, that they were going to put on a cross on their back, and they were going to live for Christ, and that meant doing His will, and that meant adopting His purpose, and that's why you're here. Don't let someone not be here next year because you refuse to do the same thing for someone else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I pray that you will help us to be people who, God, uh, remember that we were, we've been so isolated without you. God, uh, that we can remember where we were at and what life was like when we weren't close to you. And I pray that you will help us to have hearts for other people, God, that we will have a great purpose in our lives. And that that great purpose, God, that it will push us to be different than we've ever been before. That when we walk into any place, God, that our eyes are open to what you're longing to do in the lives of the people around us and that we will go out of our way in order to help people move from isolation to becoming people of influence. God, that we can we can reach those people on our campus and that we can begin to not only study the Bible with them, God, not only uh, help them find a relationship with you to be baptized in, in into a relationship with you, God, and to raise up to a new life, God, but we can we can teach them how to influence other people that we can teach them to do what has been done for us, God, that we can really disciple people, God, that we can make disciples of all nations because that's what you long to do, God. That's what, you're, that's what you came here to do. That's what your heart was. That's what your purpose is, God. Help us to never forget that and help us to make sure that we are people who love you more than anything, God, and that we love people deeply so that it changes the way that we live our lives, God. Uh, help us to never forget that you really are the hope of the nations, God. Uh, that Jesus is the one who came and offered us uh, a life, offered us a life that uh, 
we never could have had without him and help us to, as we remember how lucky we are to have that, that we remember to spread the love uh, to other people, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.